Good morning. I am Pastor Mike. I'm so glad to see you guys here this morning. Uh, we're going to continue on in week four of our series, Fill in the Blank, where we've been reflecting on how Jesus invites us through discipleship to really transform and rewrite some of the most internal stories we hold about who we are, why we exist, who our God is. And we've been looking at these narratives through these kind of simple Mad Libs sentences. Do you guys know the game Mad Libs? We've been doing it a lot, so hopefully you've caught on by now. But we've been looking at them. We've been exploring at how Jesus invites us through his own story to replace key words in these sentences about identity, about our lives, and as we replace them to change everything, to transform entirely the stories we hold. And I wanna dive right into the sentence we're focusing on today. It's pretty simple. When I grow up, I want to be blank. Now, everyone, everyone here had some dream, sometimes silly, sometimes serious, about who or what they wanted to become as an adult when they were a kid. Am I right? Yep. Am I the only one? I thought not. Thank you. So, how did you all do it? What are some words that you used to fill in this blank as a kid? Shout them out. Dancer? Oh, that's a good one. A marine biologist, that is way too serious for a child. How about over here? A mom, okay, I like that. A librarian. Oh, vets. <laughs> Who needs that? I take my dog to the vet like every other week because I'm terrified that he'll die. Anyway, how about, how about over here? Brian, how about you? A computer scientist, practical and pragmatic. I like that. Well. Well, you're, come on, rock star. Become like a child. We'll get to that later. For me, I filled in this sentence a variety of different ways throughout my life. Uh, for a minute, I wanted to be a professional athlete. Actually, Charlie Vancher was my coach in peewee flag football. I was an all-star pass rusher. And then I got older, and I realized I didn't like being told what to do, a.k.a. coaching, which is a huge problem for becoming an athlete. So I bailed on that dream pretty quick. After that, in middle school, I got into punk rock. So I decided I wanted to be a rock star. That's a perfect example. I started learning a number of instruments. I flipped between guitar, drums, bagpipes. You guys have heard me talk about that before. But I didn't like practicing because it was really freaking boring. So I bailed on that dream pretty quick. Then, as I started college, I wanted to be a doctor, almost entirely because I adored the show Scrubs. And I assumed that that's what being a doctor was like. Then I took intro to chemistry, and I realized, oh my God, y'all, I hate chemistry. In fact, I don't even like biology. <laughs> kind of important to becoming a doctor, right? Moved on from that. When I graduated, I got my degree in political science and Russian language. I believed I was gonna go to grad school and then become a CIA analyst. Spoiler alert, I am not that currently. And then for most of my 20s, I had no idea what I wanted to be, and now I'm a pastor, which I never would have dreamed of becoming as a young atheist. <laughs> Life's funny. And though I never became these things, how I filled out that sentence each time mattered a great deal. You see, and I think this is true for everyone, who we want to become directs so much of our effort and our striving, what we do with our lives. It shapes our stories about where we think we're going and how we might get there. It directs our actions, where we allot time, where we allot our resources, our treasures, our gifts. Thus, 
I think how you fill out that sentence tells us a great deal about who we are right now. Who we want to become can point to what we really believe is most important, what's most desirable in this world. For example, if we're honest, beneath the surface, we tend to fill out this sentence, especially as Americans, in some pretty standard ways. When I grow up, I want to be powerful, independent, successful, rich, respected, in control. Does anyone ever fill out the sentence that way? Safe, secure, comfortable. Behind each are insights into our values, into our worldview, how we understand ourselves, others, God, all in turn direct how we choose to live. Thus, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus has a lot to say about this topic, that he wants to change the words we use for this sentence in radical, transformative ways. We see this in one of his most famous teachings. You probably have heard of it. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, and it begins in chapter 18, verse 1. We read in verse 1, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, this is an incredibly loaded question. You see, disciples have sacrificed significantly to follow Jesus. They've become itinerant. They've given up their careers, wealth, all sorts of things. And what we see here is that their worldview, their ambition, and their growing understanding of what Jesus is all about, they're all colliding here in this question. What they're asking is, if you're God's king, bringing God's new kingdom, how will its power structures be organized as compared to our world? How will importance and status be measured? In other words, how can I get to the top of this new kingdom you're bringing? Which is understandable. Human societies care a great deal about measuring things like importance, hierarchy, power. They take that very seriously. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out how to fill out this sentence, essentially. They're coming to Jesus, and they're, they're understanding his values. They're trying to get his story, his, his kingdom. And they say, when I grow up, I want to be great, Jesus. So how do I do that in your kingdom? And y'all, as the disciples often do, they think they know the answer. They've grown up with stories from the Old Testament, Israel's history about warrior kings. Greatness is determined by courage, success, glory, defeating the bad guys. And they currently live under the Roman Empire whose strict hierarchy was all about your power and your status in the world. They're thinking of heroic accomplishment and success in their human endeavors, right? They think they know what greatness means, but Jesus doesn't think that they know at all. For Jesus, the fact that they even ask this question shows that they've filled in that sentence in all the wrong ways that they hold internal narratives about importance and greatness and who matters in our society that just misses what his kingdom and what discipleship are all about. So as Jesus is wont to do, he goes about correcting their understanding. We pick up in verse two. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. 
And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So Jesus calls a child forward, a visual aid. And he says, if you wanna be great in my kingdom, become like this. Now, who filled out their sentence as a kid? When I grow up, I wanna be a child. Any of you? No. Jesus thinks you should though. He thinks this is really important. And it's a strange goal, but it's also a radical one in context. You see, the top layer is actually kind of easy to get. I think Jesus is pointing to some of the qualities of children that should define his disciples. Though maybe not the ones that we might think more on that later, hold on. From his teachings elsewhere, we can probably infer that he believes his disciples should become childlike in their simple integrity. When you talk to a young kid, what you see is what you get. He probably believes that we should be childlike in their ability to be present, living in the moment, in their open-mindedness, willingness to meet people where they're at, to accept them as they are, in their utter dependence on their elders or their parents, or in our case, as disciples, on God. I think Jesus intends for us to adopt some of these characteristics of children in following him, in our understanding of ourselves, God, others, this world. But there's actually a deeper layer that I think is more important at least for understanding things that we might miss in this passage. You see, in Jesus' context, this is an incredibly subversive statement about power, importance, and status. Today, we idealize childhood. We assign to children the concept of pure innocence, right? And if we take that to be what Jesus is talking about, we will miss his point. There's a few reasons for that. First, the Old Testament does not hold that view. It believes that human beings, including children, are a mixed bag from birth. There are verses in the Old Testament how we're sinners in the womb, and there are verses in the Old Testament about humanity's inherent goodness. All that to say, it holds that all humans, including children, have inherent capacity for both faithfulness and rebellion, which, if you are a parent, that rings true. My daughter is almost two. And in many ways, she is a beacon of wonderful innocence. But at the same time, about, I don't know, a year, she started doing this thing. What she'll do is she will start doing something that she knows she's not supposed to do. Then, you know, she'll knock something over, create anarchy, whatever. Then she'll turn and she'll look right at me, dead in my eyes. I'll say, don't do that. She'll grin. I'll say, please don't do that. And then she does it anyway, and then she laughs at me. She is not the ideal of innocent. <laughs> She's a mixed bag. In fact, that's what I love about her. She has peace and anarchy and chaos all wrapped into one. But second, and the second, this idealistic view of children also doesn't really jive or match the cultural and the social views of children in Jesus' time. I mean, let's be honest. Children are needy, right? They also don't contribute a lot tangibly to a household. Adi does not pay rent. And in the ancient world, where every part of life and survival required way more work, way more effort, this shaded, this colored the attitudes about children that were held by Jesus' audience. 
Children couldn't contribute to a family's survival, which was the most important thing. Thus, children were seen as being as low as one could possibly get on the social ladder. Socially, they were valued primarily for the benefit that they brought a family by eventually becoming workers or protectors or by bringing financial gain or connection through marriage. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that people didn't love their children. I promise you they did. It's that socially, culturally, in terms of power and influence, children were as unimportant as it got in ancient societies. They were powerless. They had no rights in any court. They were entirely subject to the authority of their elders. They were to be looked after, not looked up to. Period. End of story. Thus, for Jesus' audience, when he points to children as the standard for greatness in his kingdom, that is a bonkers thing to say. It amounts to a total reversal of their value scales. Jesus says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, adopt the status of a child. Total insignificance according to how our world measures importance and success. Except the lowest place in society, this abject standard of the utter poor, the needy, the downtrodden, the oppressed, the looked down upon the least of these. R.T. France, one of the biblical authors that I really enjoy, wrote this in his commentary for Matthew. For Jesus, true greatness is to be found in being little, true importance in being unimpressive. That is what the kingdom of heaven does to the world's scales of value. Humbles himself does not refer to an arbitrary asceticism or a phony false modesty. It does not describe just a character trait for the acceptance of the most inferior position in the eyes of this world. Altogether, I think this is a profound statement, an image of what disciples should seek to become, according to Jesus. When I grow up as a disciple of Jesus, I want to be like a child. I mean, I think that reshapes entirely our understanding of who we should want to become, our values, what we should be striving for, where we invest our effort, our resources, our time, our treasures, what we believe truly matters. I mean, as I sat with this passage this week, a few things just kept getting stuck with me. I think first, it means developing a posture of childlike presence, awe, and wonder. Children don't dwell in the past. They're not anxiously trying to control their future. Where do children live? They live here and now. Jesus reminds us that when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to how we use our lives, all that matters is right now. He says, don't waste your life counting past successes and failures or fretting over when the next ones might come. God's presence, God's gift is found here and now, only here and now, live fully there. And in that, develop an immense capacity for awe and wonder. You see, this reminds me of another story about Adie, my daughter. When she was a few months old, my wife and I took her to look at Christmas lights. And she didn't care about them at all. Because she was too busy gazing in awe at the tree. And I always thought that was ridiculous until it hit me. 
That's because, quite frankly, trees are more amazing than the things humans make. I've just stopped noticing them. I've just stopped appreciating them. My lack of awe and wonder is nothing more than a lack of presence and gratitude to this creation God has made. You see, we become so jaded as we grow old, do we not? And I think when we do that, we stop experiencing God, others, this world, as the astounding, abundant, beautiful gifts that they are, gifts that should provoke awe and gratitude when we're present with them in a moment. In your discipleship, are you becoming a more present person? Do you find yourself in moments of awe and wonder more often? Because I think Jesus believes that should be one of our greatest goals if we are following him. Second, I think this means growing in our ability to embrace childlike openness. Openness towards ourselves. Children are incapable of pretense. Believe me, if you ask a kid their opinion about something, they're gonna tell you. They don't really care whether you like their answer or not. They are not down for putting on disguises to try to guess what you want from them. Jesus says kingdom people don't try to put on a show to impress anyone, even themselves. They don't try to frantically seek more attention, praise, and esteem. They accept that how God sees them is all that matters, and his love isn't earned. It's given by grace. Thus, they learn increasingly in their lives to be comfortable in their own skin to be unafraid, to be open about who they are. Yikes. I thought someone shot me. I was like, I'm not even at the, the, the scary part yet, guys. Everyone good? Whew. Don't walk over here. Do we need to move them? We had a light burst. It was terrifying. Y'all okay? Do I just like pick back up? <laughs> Holy Spirit. <laughs> Second, I think it means growing in our ability to embrace childlike openness. Like I said, childlike openness towards ourselves. We already talked about that. But, also, childlike openness towards God, others, and our world. Children simply want to discover. They seek out new things rather than being closed to them. They're open to being surprised. They don't cling to fixed ideas. Thus, disciples let God challenge how they see the world. They let God challenge their fixed ideas. They're always open to learning, to being wrong, to changing, to growing because they know that God and his creations can't be confined in the boxes that humans make. Author Brennan Manning put it this way, an open-minded attitude is like an open door, a welcoming disposition towards the fellow travelers who knock on our door during the middle of the day, the middle of the week, or the middle of a lifetime. Some travelers are dirtbags, grungy, disheveled, and bedraggled. The sophisticated adult within me shudders and is reluctant to offer them hospitality. They may be carrying precious gifts under their rags, but I still prefer clean-shaven Christians who are neatly attired, properly pedigreed, and who affirm my vision, echo my thoughts, stroke my ego, and make me feel good. Yet my inner child 
grotesque. I want new friends, not old mirrors. That is a beautiful sentiment. Are you becoming more open-minded about God, about other people, about this world as you go through your discipleship journey? Third, and this is very uncomfortable for us as Americans, I think this passage means accepting childlike dependence. We're all born powerless and vulnerable. A child can't exist without the provision of a parent or an elder. They are utterly dependent when they are born. And being dependent, y'all, is a four-letter word in our culture. And yet Jesus celebrates it. Jesus tells us to measure importance by counting and displaying our achievements, comparing our trophy case to others above and below us on that ladder. But Jesus throws that out the window. He taught that nothing we have is ours. Nothing we have was earned by us. It's all a gift of God's grace. A disciple knows that they can do nothing apart from God and his good gifts, that everything they have is a gift. They embrace utter humility in light of that fact, accepting their weakness, their dependence on God, knowing in their bones That greatness isn't achieved through their accomplishments, but rather through humbly recognizing, receiving, and being grateful for God's gracious provision. Jesus believed that this idea of the giftedness of everything was just crucial for his disciples to get. And that greatness, in light of it, was living in response to that grace each day. Remembering that as children Embraced by Jesus, we have no cause for pride or for boasting in our achievements. We can only humbly say, thank you. Learn to rely on him and then give our gifts away like he did. Are you becoming more dependent on God in this community or whatever community you're in each day? Because Jesus fundamentally does not believe that you go it alone in this life. That is death in his eyes. And finally, I think this passage means adopting a childlike vision of status and greatness. And again, this is incredibly hard for us to do as Americans. Jesus prohibited treating those he called children, those he called little ones, as despised or inferior. As far as he was concerned, the kingdom was theirs. It was closest and it belonged to those our world calls the least, the poorest, the lowest, the most broken, the most marginalized. And that should change how we see those people and how we live in this world too. Jesus says, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Disciples who've accepted their status as children turn towards, invite in, and care for those who hold that status also in this world. The poor, the marginalized, the lost, the broken, those he calls the least of these. They don't strive for worldly success because that's not their measure of greatness and importance anymore. They measure it by how many little ones they serve in this life, by how much they give to the poor, by how deeply they love and care for Jesus' sheep. They dedicate themselves to his pattern of servanthood 
and accept his standard of humble greatness, remembering that they too are child before God and giving themselves fully to serving others is exactly what they are called to do with their lives because that's what their God did. Are you letting Jesus turn upside down how you measure importance in this world? How you look at the homeless man on the side of the street, how you care for the poor, how you see yourselves up and down that ladder in relation to those people. Are you increasingly realizing there is no ladder in the eyes of God? And are you letting that motivate you into more and more service of others? So let me just close as we get ready to head towards communion by asking you this, where do you need to change how we fill out this sentence? When I grow up, I want to be present, awe-filled, open-minded, dependent, the least, a servant, like a child. Where do you need to let Jesus rewrite your story? Reflect on that as we head to the table where we remember how Jesus gave himself in love how he did for us what we could not do for ourselves as children. How we, as the little ones, came to him in our need and our brokenness and our utter dependence and found that he is a good, faithful king and that we have a good, faithful father. Where do you need this image of discipleship? Let Jesus turn your values and your worldview and your visions of greatness and success and importance upside down so you can find a better story of who you're called to become. Sit with that as we take the bread and the wine or grape juice in our case and as you listen to this last song. For those in person, we have individual communion cups at the tables up front. You can come up as you feel led. Please maintain distance between parties as much as possible. For those at home, uh, serve yourselves or whoever you're with. The table will be open. On the night he gave himself up for us, he took the bread, he gave thanks to you, and he broke the bread and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you. He gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father God, Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Let us remember his sacrifice and let us become that sacrifice to the little ones, to the children, to the least of these he called us to serve. We thank you for your abundance and your gifts. We pray this in your name. Amen.